0: This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I am Emily Fox recording in my bedroom, sitting on the floor with a blanket over my head, trying to recreate what it sounds like in a studio environment, because most of the folks at KEXP are working from home this week, unless you were on air currently as a DJ recording live. We are trying to keep this as normal as possible, but of course, coronavirus has impacted us all. You know, things have changed a lot in Seattle. Businesses have closed shop, music venues are dark, and when it comes to the music Community tours have been canceled or postponed because of the coronavirus that first hit Seattle and then the nation. So, coming up this Saturday on the broadcast version of Sound and Vision, I will be talking to more musicians and venues about how they're faring during this pandemic. Sound and Vision, by the way, airs live on KEXP and on KEXP.org Saturday mornings from 7 till 9 a.m. Pacific. Yet before this pandemic broke, our Sound and Vision contributors checked in with some local musicians who juggle day jobs to get by. We'll hear those stories on this episode of Sound & Vision. We'll hear how a member of Mudhoney still works in the warehouse of Sub Pop Records, the label his band is on. Sending out
1: our own records is a very humbling experience because you can pretty much see the demand (laughs)
0: <laughs> we'll also hear from Geo, uh, the Seattle hip-hop group Blue Scholars, who now owns two cafes.
2: Crafting a menu is like sequencing an album.
0: But first we hear about someone who leads a band by night and is a lawyer by day. Someone who used to have to hide her tattoos and crazy neon hair in court in order to be taken seriously at her day job. Rachel Stevens has the story.
3: This is Skates with an exclamation mark after it. A Seattle-based fun beats power pop band.
4: And this is Leslie. Uh, my name is Leslie Wood, and I am a shareholder and litigation attorney at Wilson Smith Cochrane Dickerson. I am also a musician, and I am the front person and guitarist for the band Skates.
3: I catch Leslie at her downtown Seattle office. She keeps an eye on her email as we talk. Her typical day runs a mile a minute. She wakes up between 5 and 5.30 a.m., feeds her cats, works out, gets to work, and goes through paperwork, or maybe she has a deposition, or meditation, or arbitration.
4: She meets with other partners and associates at the firm. I eat my lunch at my desk standing up. Um, I have a stand-up desk. I don't really sit down a lot. And when she's done with work, it's back home and back to skates. Uh, Maybe do some songwriting, sometimes have band practice. And usually somewhere between 12 and 1, you know, unless I've gone to a show or played a show, usually crash out. And then next day between 5 and 5.30, get up and do it all over again. And just when you think that's it. I also recently have started uh, running, doing half marathons. So I do a lot of training to do that because I don't have enough to do.
3: I get exhausted just listening to Leslie go through her day. What she doesn't mention, but then remembers later, is that she's also a passionate cat person, like tattoo sleeves of her cats on her biceps
4: kind of cat person, which she definitely has. My number one is Pilot, and I also have Henny. And then there's Bear, who's a giant, feral, 22-pound cat, basically just showed up, and he brought his feral colony with him so that there are now 11 altogether. You have over 13 cats? Yeah, wow. Yeah, including Pilot and Henny. Yes, yes we do, and a lot of cats. From what I can tell, Leslie
3: has always lived life big, like 13 cats big. She uses as many hours in the day as possible. In the late 90s, Leslie moved to Seattle knowing two things. She wanted to go to law school, and she wanted to play music. She busted on the streets to get her music start, and her first Seattle band was a pretty successful one called Ms. Lead, that's M-S period, L-E-D. Ms. Lead championed marginalized people and wanted to work for social change, which was a huge reason Leslie got into music. Leslie had just started law school at the University of Washington when Ms. Lead was invited to go on a small-town tour of the state. The goal of the tour was to combat homophobia and racism. But... Leslie had to skip class in
4: order to tour. So here's what she told her professors. I just said, look, I'm going to work on the road. The whole reason I went to law school or applied to law school was so I could make a change and so I could be a positive role model. And I did. I did both. And that was right at the beginning of my law school career. And I think it basically just set in my brain that I could do both. She was a lawyer who rocked hard. And that
3: rock aesthetic permeated through every part of Leslie." Which made for interesting times at
4: Wilson Smith, Cochran and Dickerson back in the day. The first job that I had in Seattle was working at this law firm. And it's funny because I remember in those days, um, you know, I had all the piercings. It was the 90s, I had the piercings and, you know, blue streaks in my hair. and. They were like, "Oh, you know you can't you can't wear your piercings at work, you know your nose piercing tongue piercing and all that, and you can't have blue in your hair and I heard a rumor um that uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you would wear a wig, yeah,
3: oh man, about a decade ago, leslie's hair was dyed what I can only describe as
4: flaming hot cheetos red and that wasn't going to fly you know in court or at depositions or." um you know the impression that i wanted to make was just you know just another just another attorney so she would wear a dark short-haired wig on top of that she was a bike commuter i used to ride my bike to depositions or to basically any work event. It's like in order for me to get there, I had to ride my bike. And so I would get to wherever I was going, and I would have to change my clothes and, you know, put my hair up and, you know, put my wig on and then go in and, you know, have glasses on. And it was sort of a Clark Kent Superman idea. These days, Lizzie can wear whatever
3: she wants in the courtroom. She owns the firm. When I visit her office, she's wearing a tailored dress, heels and a cardigan, but at the skate show in Pioneer Square on a Saturday night, I swear Leslie is dressed even more formal than she is at her law job. She's wearing a buttoned up black shirt with a blue tie, and all the members are actually wearing a tie.
4: Oh, My number one. Larry mother-
3: they look classy. And me? Leslie introduces the band. I quickly figure out how fun it is to be a part of a skate show.
4: Together, together we are skates! Skates! We are skates! Skates!
3: There is this constant call and response of the skates. performance. People are having fun. We
4: are skates! Skates!
3: I watch skates fans get amped up and crowd the stage. And Leslie sings with this badassery that makes me want to never meet her in a courtroom. As I watched Leslie on stage, I thought a lot about a conversation that we had in her office. I kept asking her because I wanted to know who she identified with more. Lawyer Leslie or Skates Leslie?
4: It is the same person. It, it is. Um, I, it's funny. Over the years, people will always be surprised that I'm one or the other. But if you see me in both... It's the same person. I'm very outgoing. I'm very outspoken. Um, Being a trial attorney is essentially the same as fronting a band. I mean, you have to go out there. You have to know your audience. You have to be confident. um, You know, you have to read the room. And uh, you have to believe in what you're saying. I see it now.
3: It completely is the same person. Instead of Clark Kent in the courtroom and then Superman on stage— It's Superwoman in the courtroom, Superwoman feeding the cats, Superwoman training for a half marathon, and then Superwoman on stage. It's Leslie Wood. And this is Skates.
0: That was Rachel Stevens reporting for Sound & Vision. Now on to our next day job story. Mark Arm, the alias of Mark McLaughlin, has been a major part of the Seattle music scene since the late 80s. His band Green River released one of the first albums ever on sub-pop records and defined Seattle's grunge sound. A year later, his band Mudhoney released the classic grunge anthem Touch Me, I'm Sick. Touch me! Mark Arm still makes a living from Sub Pop. All of Mudhoney's studio albums since 2002 have come out on the label, and he also works there five days a week as a warehouse manager. Sound Envisions and Hans Anderson spoke to the grunge icon about how his music career has come full circle. Mark
5: Arm never had a midlife crisis. Whereas, like other people, like they hit 40 something
1: or whatever, like, oh man, I've just been working this whole time, and I got these this family, these kids. I want a red sports car and a divorce. You know, in my 40s, I didn't have any of those feelings. I'm
5: like, I am so happy where I am right now. (laughs) Where he is today is in the Georgetown neighborhood of Seattle, where he manages the Sub Pop Warehouse. The record label released the early recordings of Soundgarden and Nirvana. They marketed the Seattle sound and are largely responsible for grunge's popularity. But before all this, in 1987, Sub Pop would release an album by arms band Green River. That album was called Dry as a Bone. Sub Pop founder Bruce Pavitt would describe Dry as a bone as, quote, gritty vocals, roaring martial amps, ultra loose grunge that destroyed the morals of a generation. It's one of the first instances of grunge being used to describe music in Seattle. Green River eventually broke up and arm formed Mudhoney. They also released their music on Sub Pop. The record label in its nascent days was a bit different than it is now. For one, there was no warehouse manager.
1: In the early days, it was sort of all hands on deck. Like if there were singles that needed to be stuffed, people who were in the bands in town would like show up at the office space and stuff singles, you know, even if
5: it wasn't their own band no one was really getting paid or anything today people are getting paid for this specifically mark arm is getting paid for this he usually doesn't stuff his own records into envelopes but he does manage bulk orders like those for record stores sending out our own records is a very humbling experience and if you ask why
1: uh because you can pretty much see the demand
5: (laughs) if you take a cursory look around the internet You can find articles with headlines like Mudhoney was the nirvana that should have been or Godfathers of Grunge. Seattle's Mudhoney roars again, which is not the narrative that Arm is pushing. Just by
1: happenstance, I was in a band in Seattle at a time and a place where there was a thing that was happening in town
5: that took off and we were part of
1: it but we weren't like the focus
5: of it even though many of his contemporaries became immensely famous he came from the punk scene in the 80s he never really thought he would be able to make money from music it wasn't anything that uh i thought was something that was even like
1: possible uh some of my friends had a little bit more i guess confidence that they could make this music thing work out uh, and
5: some of my other friends did not he went day job free for a while Mudhoney signed to a major label but eventually he had to go back to the nine to five in the late 90s my wife was working i was not there wasn't a
1: ton of money and she's like you know maybe you should get off the couch (laughs) i was like hey you know i take the dogs to the park every day what more do we do you want
5: Mark Arm started working again. Eventually, he moved over to Sub Pop as a warehouse manager. And by this time, Mudhoney was off their major label. They still wanted to record. So who do they work with? Sub Pop. Now, if you ask Arm if he ever thought Mudhoney would last 30 years, he'd tell you no. But they're still releasing records. Their most recent album, Digital Garbage, is witty, dark, dad punk. Came out in 2018 and is uncompromisingly them.
1: so many likes go on give it a try kill yourself blind. you'll never be more famous you'll never be more popular
5: mud honey have chosen a path of sustainability day jobs and occasional recording and touring i think it's just sort of different approaches like The approach that the members of Mudhoney
1: have is it's sort of like based on our circumstances.
5: Many members of Mudhoney have kids, some that are in elementary school. No one just wants to walk away from their family for like a a half a year or more of touring. And Arm and the rest of Mudhoney felt that there wasn't a whole lot of benefit from touring more. The the numbers just sort of dwindled, the numbers being the people (laughs) in the audience. Arm never attained huge fame, but he can play atop the Space Needle one day and the next go to the grocery store and no one notices him. He actually feels pretty lucky. He likes that he still gets to play shows and make the music he's always wanted to make. Working a day job allows him to do this without compromising his values.
1: Luckily, I've been able to squeak by like finding places, jobs at places where like I don't have to like, I don't know put on a suit or dress sharp or whatever, and I don't have to,
5: like, put on a fake personality to get along in, like, the cubicle world. Mudhoney's latest release is Morning in America. For Sound and Vision, I'm Hans Anderson.
0: This is Sound and Vision. Our next day job story features Gio. He's best known for being part of the Seattle hip hop group Blue Scholars. He was a musician first, but he's since taken his knowledge of the music industry and fused it into the culinary arts and opened up his own bakery, cafe, and bar. Rachel Stevens has more. The hip hop scene
3: in Seattle is synonymous with Blue Scholars. The two-person group formed at the University of Washington in 2002, and they're known for using their music as activism. They are not shy in content, rapping about everything from racism and drug policies.
2: Knowing that you're six times as likely as them to do time. If your skin tone is darker than his, the last thing that you want on your mind. But
3: to immigration.
2: Trigger happy cops. Barbed wire in fire water, y'all, it don't stop. Isaac...
3: To the ever-growing gentrification of Seattle.
2: I heard
3: Blue Scholar's Northwest fame quickly rose, and soon they were opening for names like Kanye West and De La Soul. So from 2006 to 2011, they were on the go, touring the country, spending more and more time in big cities like New York. And tour life was hectic. Grabbing food on the go, spending a lot of time away from family and community. So, come 2013, one half of Blue Scholars decided to take a half-baked idea and turn it into a Seattle reality. A new day job.
2: Yeah, my name is Gio Kiboyan, uh, a.k.a. Prometheus Brown, uh, formerly known as Geologic. I'm a career uh, musician, performing artist, uh, still doing that, but now that's my side hustle. Gio's
3: main hustle now is running two businesses in Seattle with his wife, Shara Onlog. One is a bakery, and the other is a cafe and bar. They're both called Hood Famous, which is named after how this all started. Shara's quote-unquote Hood Famous Ube Cheesecake. Because their business started as a catering gig in 2013, and Shara would make these delicious purple cheesecakes that started getting a ton of neighborhood buzz. In 2016, the brick-and-mortar Hood Famous Bake Shop opened in Ballard. It is almost literally a hole-in-the-wall establishment, inspired by what Geo saw on tour on the East Coast.
2: There's nowhere to sit, nowhere to hang out. This is built out a front counter so that people can come in. I think we're also inspired by being able to travel as a musician. Uh, Even though there wasn't any models for of that here in this city in New York, like there's tons of those places. Like you walk in and it's literally a kitchen, but there's a counter. And, like, the door, the, the swinging of the door almost hits the counter kind of spots, right? Uh, so, similar situation with us.
3: I met Gio at the newer Hood Famous Cafe and Bar, which opened in 2019 in the International District. This place is an extension of the successful Ballard location. And at this location, there's a full bar, baked goods, and a bit of a cafe bar menu. Everything Hood Famous does is Filipino-inspired through ingredients and flavors.
2: Uh, it's what I grew up on. Um... My, both my parents are from the Philippines, both Shara's parents are from the Philippines, we're second generation uh, Filipino Americans, and that's, it's our love language. As, as an artist uh, for myself, it's, it is, it's, an, it's a form of expression.
3: Music, rapping, writing, making food and cocktails, it's all just ways for Geo to release creativity. It's all a flow.
2: My mind, it operates rhythmically. Sometimes literally where like song lyrics will come to me while I'm doing these things or metaphorically where I'm behind bar and I'm filling in for somebody who's on break and like the movement of my hands when I'm mixing drinks is a rhythm.
3: There's a scrappiness to how Geo makes art. This started at a young age in Bremerton, Washington, where he grew up in the 90s. Where there wasn't exactly a rap scene, he made one. Geo would be the only rapper in a community talent show filled with young dancers and singers.
2: Hip-hop music specifically, the, the improvisation, uh, at least on, in the era that I grew up in when we freestyled a lot and things like that, is I think a, translatable, at least the way your brain works, into navigating um, kitchen life or, or even working the floor.
3: And whether you're operating a restaurant or playing a big show, it's a lot of the same feelings for Geo. It's coming from the same place
2: music and food and hospitality go hand in hand. Everything from crafting a menu. Crafting a menu is like sequencing an album. The succession of reading a menu list should be similar to the the kind of expression that you get from one song to the next um, in an album. Industry stuff just like you gotta have thick skin. Like a Yelp a bad Yelp review will not hurt my feelings. I've been booed off stage, you know. Like there's, there's just a kind of resiliency that I feel like I brought into here that comes from uh, having done uh, music and worked as an independent artist. Yeah. Uh huh.
3: Gio is still making music as an independent artist. For his solo work, he goes by the name Prometheus Brown. In August, he headlined the Chinese International District Block Party. The Block Party's tagline is, our love letter to Asian Pacific American music, arts, culture, and community. Love letters to the Asian Pacific American community is a great way to sum up what GEO creates, no matter what the platform.
2: And a lot of it does have to do with vulnerability, like really putting your personality into something, really showing who you are through that expression.
3: In Hood Famous, I watch Gio move around and talk with staff members who are obviously friends. I see him check on food and step in to make cocktails. He's moving rhythmically in everything that he does.
2: And most moved by music and food. So I take that seriously, like... If you're out there and you listen to my music, or you're out there and you're having food that I've either created with my hands or I've conceptualized and tried to make with consistency and intention and originality, I don't take that lightly. The food, I think, even more so, because you're literally putting that in your body. You know, That is such a degree of trust, I think. I don't mind putting my story in there. Let's put the theory to the test. Everybody got a story, but everybody get. Every story got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah.
3: Gio's day job may have shifted, but he's still putting a story into everything he does. It's his craft. Gio says that Blue Scholars is still a group, they always will be, and they could drop new music at any moment. But he's still finding rhythm and beats and rhymes in everything. Things like building menus and shaking cocktails.
2: See if you're doing it right, you'll get Yeah, yeah. Everywhere I go, I stay on West Coast time. Everywhere I go, I stay on West Coast time. Everywhere I go, I stay on West Coast time. Up all night in NY. Yeah. Early in Hawaii. Yeah. Everywhere I go, I stay
3: on For Sound and Coast Vision, time. I'm Rachel Stevens. Everywhere I
2: go, I stay on West Coast time. Everywhere I go, I stay on West Coast time. Up all night in NY. Up early in Hawaii. Yeah.
0: Hood Famous had to close shop last week, the same week they would have been celebrating their one-year anniversary. They say they remain closed until further noticed because of the coronavirus. Again, we will be checking in with musicians, venues, and businesses who've been impacted by the coronavirus on Saturday's broadcast version of Sound and Vision. You can stream it from 7 till 9 a.m. on KEXP.org. And some of those interviews will end up on next week's podcast. Which reminds me to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review the sound and vision podcast. It helps others know it exists. It would also be wonderful to see you give a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org sound. Thanks so much for listening. Hang in there. I hope you're doing well and let's chat more next week.